We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone this evening by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And good evening. And Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Hey, thanks for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing a meeting between newly appointed KMT Chairman Johnny Jung and Kaohsiung Mayor Hang Guo Yu. Fresh calls from the KMT this time to make Taichung the island's capital. New accusations and allegations concerning the future of the Taichung power plant and Tainan's already busy firefighters now being spared ornery animal, reptile and insect duty. But we'll begin with the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan this week. And the Central Epidemic Command Centre on Thursday confirmed eight new coronavirus cases, bringing the total number of such cases here in Taiwan since the outbreak began to 108 at the time we're recording this show. As of Thursday, 78 of the 108 confirmed cases have been classified as imported, and only three of the 55 infections reported in the past five days are believed to have been contracted locally. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen on Thursday warned that the upcoming 14 days will be critical to Taiwan's coronavirus prevention efforts and she is urging the public to take three steps to assist in the government's response. Now, that call comes as the number of confirmed infections here has basically doubled over the past week due to the increase in imported coronavirus cases. And Tsai says the first step is a need for the public to follow the Central Epidemic Command Centre's virus prevention guidelines despite their inconvenience in the short term. Step two urges people to cease blaming others for the outbreak, but instead be thankful for the hard work of medical personnel, manufacturers of protective supplies and those complying with home quarantine and self-health management guidelines. And the president went on to say that step three calls on the public to refrain from creating panic and focus solely on assisting the government in transmitting accurate information about the virus. Now, those comments come amid yet more panic buying. And now the basically the health minister on Thursday told people, you know, there's only going to be shortages if people panic buy. Now, the government at midnight on Wednesday of this week opted to ban entry to all foreign nationals into Taiwan, with some exceptions, as it seeks to stem the spread of the coronavirus. Now, foreign nationals who hold alien residence certificates or documents proving they're in Taiwan for diplomatic or other official purposes or to fulfil business contracts, as well as those who have received special permits, can enter the island and not subject to the ban. But Foreign Minister Joseph Wu told reporters that the restrictions on entry into Taiwan for foreign nationals are subject to change based on directives from the Central Epidemic Command Centre. Now, all Taiwanese citizens and foreign nationals with the necessary documentation who arrive in Taiwan from overseas now are required to be quarantined at home for 14 days, regardless of where they've come from. Now, Premier Su Jung Chung was busy on Tuesday defending a cabinet decision to ban students and teachers at the high school level and below from overseas travel. Now, Su cited a legal basis for the move based on infectious disease prevention laws and special regulations. Now, according to the Premier, the ban was agreed on following consultations with medical experts and the Epidemic Command Centre, and he told reporters that he hopes no one will breach the epidemic prevention measure and, in his words, put other people at risk for selfish 
selfish reasons. Now, the Ministry of Education says the travel ban is effective until the end of this semester, which now ends on July the 14th. And Pan also said that there's a special needs clause in the ban and those who really need to travel overseas have to seek prior approval from both local and national education authorities. However, what the Education Minister didn't say was what penalties teachers and students or the parents of students who violate the travel regulation could face. And Foreign Minister Joseph Wu and the American Institute in Taiwan director Brent Christensen released a joint statement on Wednesday of this week saying that both sides are stepping up efforts to contain the coronavirus outbreak by sharing best practices and cooperating on a range of activities. Now, according to that statement, the two sides will form a partnership on the research and development of rapid testing as well as the research and production of vaccines and medicines. Other cooperation measures include sharing contact tracing techniques and technology, holding joint conferences with scientists and experts, and also the exchanging of medical supplies and equipment. So, Donovan, where to begin? Let's begin at the beginning and go to the coming 14 days concern and also tying Wen's basic three steps to assist in the government's response to the coronavirus. Well, overall, I'd say that the, the government has done a pretty good job, at least, and as far as overseas media is concerned, they, they absolutely think that Taiwan is a model. Obviously, lo- looked at locally, we can see some of the gaps and problems that have arisen, but I actually compiled a list of, it was about 35 different articles in the international media that praise Taiwan or Taiwan and Singapore and, and uh, South Korea as a model. But obviously looked at locally, and I know some of these topics are going to come up in a minute, uh, but there are some disputes locally and there are some gaps. But I think overall they're doing quite a good job. What about her ideas? I mean, basically, listen to the Central Epidemic Command Centre, don't blame others for the outbreak, and just be thankful, and also basically, you know, refrain from creating panic. I, I think actually her resisting uh, the, pre- the presidential uh, office and her... Uh, refusing to declare a national emergency was probably a good idea, and I think that fits very nicely into those three uh, into those three things. In that, by refusing to declare a national emergency, they are underscoring that things are different, but not not we shouldn't be panicking. And I, I think that right now that's a good idea. Um, obviously, we've got some more, again, we've got topics coming up, including panic buying and things like that, which the government's trying to keep a, keep a, a grip on. Michael. Yeah. All I can say is, uh, and this is not a political comment in any way, but I think uh, there's plenty of people who are quite grateful right now that we are not looking at the uh, potential for or, or the, uh, the inevitability of a, a transfer of power if uh, the other party had won uh, the election, because uh, not to, uh, again, this is not a political comment, but just the certainty and the stability that we have right now with the people who are in place, the government that is uh, in place and all of this, is also helping to, uh, you know, calm some nerves. And it could be a very different situation if everything was going to be changing on uh, May uh, 20th. So, um, yeah, the, I agree with Donovan. We seem to uh, be sending a pretty uh, concise, pretty clear message. And all in all, they get, you know, at least eight, 8.5 stars in my book. And right, what about the panic buying, Michael? Well, you know, we are seeing that in Kaohsiung to a smaller degree. It's not chaotic. 
if I go down to my local, you know, Ding Hao or whatever uh, convenience store or stuff, I can I can still buy toilet paper. They have restricted uh, stuff at Costco and a few of these other very large places, but it's not insane in any way. Um, so for us, it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be an issue. I was very pleased by uh, the premier making a comment. I believe it was on Facebook uh, where his his response was uh, go the other direction instead of telling people not to panic buy. He was like, hey, you guys, if you want to buy, go for it. It will help stimulate the economy. Buy everything. We've got plenty in Taiwan. And that sort of reverse psychology is, is somewhat calming in a way. And of course, Donovan, there was, there's an article in today's Apple Daily front page talking about the panic buying. And apparently they're saying that um, law enforcement agencies traced the rumors of pa- need to panic buy down to some line messages that originated in China that were basically saying people in Taiwan need to buy 30 days worth of goods. <laughs> well, that's hardly surprising. Um, I mean, there's been quite a few reports recently about how uh, the, the PRC is is using United Front tactics to uh, to create alarm in Taiwan. And of course, the PRC is blaming the U.S. for creating the virus in the first place. And if you follow the Global Times, which I, I'm sure that, like me, you, you follow it every day, the, the, the Chinese communist mouthpiece, the Global Times, has been coming up with articles in the last week blaming Taiwan for... Uh, creating hack attacks and spreading misinformation in China. 60 Facebook accounts were suspended over the last couple of weeks, right, in Taiwan, specifically because they were found to not be uh, Taiwanese and possibly being run by uh, uh, propagandists from other places, hint, hint, across the border or across the ocean over there in China. But neither of you have panic bought, I take it? No. There you I go. Don't, I don't see the need to have a, a whole bunch of toilet paper in my home. I, I, I can't eat it. And, of course, Michael, you only really need to go to the toilet so many times in a week. Yes, and, I mean, if we want to really get into it, you also have other options. You have, uh, you have showers. You have water. You know, uh, I know that in America people are, are beginning to uh, take the bidet more seriously. So, yes, seriously, there's just no reason for this. Uh, it's, it's totally illogical. And also, um, I saw some images that just made me scratch my head. Like, what would you do with, you know, 50 gallons of, of fresh milk? You, you, even if you had a deep freezer, you, you could keep it for a while, but I, unless you, I don't know, maybe the guy was an ice cream maker. Maybe I got it wrong, but I just don't understand the logic behind this. If you're going to buy something, buy something that's, you know, imperishable or whatever, whatever the term is, something that's going to last, you know, canned goods, uh, rice, uh, whatever, right? And, uh, yeah, I think it is wise probably to have some stores of food in your home right now. I, I don't think that's a stupid idea at all, at all. I would personally, you know, try to have three or four days worth of something. But beyond that, you know, I, I just don't get the logic. Well, you do realize that, you know, if you get that much milk and it starts to go bad, then you might need a lot of toilet paper because <laughs> you, you will go. be going to the bathroom <laughs> quite frequently. Anyway, moving on to a more serious note, that being the government deciding to ban foreign nationals from entering Taiwan. Of course... Donovan, this was before the government went through with this plan. There was talk about it on the front pages of several newspapers saying, why isn't the government doing this? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, a lot of countries are doing this right now, so it's not actually that unusual. Um, obviously, there, there are certain cases where that could be problematic, people who are doing visa runs and have basically made their life here and are in the process of getting an ARC. So there's people who are going to fall, fall through the cracks. Uh, a lot of my migrant workers uh, could possibly, again, fall through the cracks. Now, they're not allowed to go 
back to their home countries now, and, and they could be barred from coming back for quite a while. So the the concern is not so much your average person, I think, coming coming in, and they've they've made uh, allowances for people who are legal and have an ARC. Uh, there are some concerns, I think, for people who are sort of in that middle zone between they've set up a life here and are in the process of getting an ARC. Outside of those people, I think that it makes a lot of sense. The question that we had down here that uh, was being asked by um, uh, especially a lot of English teachers was, there were people who came in earlier this year, and they've now secured a job with a, a school, for example, but they haven't yet received the ARC. They're in the process of it, and I believe the government did address that. Like they, there was some talk, if you have, if you've got papers saying that you've been hired, that it's possible. But for some people, this is an issue that's still a little bit up in the air and causing some confusion. Right. Of course, Michael, the Cabinet's decision to ban students and teachers at senior high school level and below from overseas travel, that came into some questions whether it was actually constitutional to do this. Right. The first reaction that I had was just, how is that legal to do that? And then secondly, how do you enforce that, you know? Um, it's, it's, it's all too easy. You, you walk up to the counter with your airline ticket and, are you a teacher? No. <laughs> okay. Are you... It, it just... It seems really, really difficult. Now... On the school side, if the person were to not show up for work or for some reason, you know, be known to have gone, I can see how it would be very easy for a school to say, well, you as a teacher, you are not allowed on school property now and you must quarantine for days or something. But how do you actually, there's no database that I'm aware of that lists every teacher or high school teacher in a certain area. So, number one, it seems dubious from a legal perspective. Secondly, it seems very, very difficult to enforce. Yeah, I can add a little bit to that. Uh, essentially, that's part of the reason why uh, the, the KMT and the TPP have been calling on the, on the central government to declare a state of emergency. Uh, one TPP legislator said that essentially, because the government is, is enacting this, they're saying that these students and teachers, uh, this is covered under our Act 7 of the Special Act on the COVID-19 Prevention and Relief and Restoration Act. But the, there's some there's some legal questions as to whether or not it includes that, and so that's why they want the the central government to declare a national emergency. Now, uh, so there may be legal challenges to this coming up. Another thing they've done, which I found interesting, is that they are trying to deputize companies. They say here that firms now can, the government is telling employers that they can request that their workers not leave the nation, uh, according to the Minister of, Ministry of Labor. And they're putting it under a clause, which is called accompanying obligation. But it's a little weird that the central government is deputizing company, companies, essentially, to act on their behalf. And, and the word request there, of course, is a very, uh, you know, yeah, yeah that. So uh, it, it, this is going to uh, depend very much on whether or not we, uh, we as Taiwanese or we as Taiwanese residents uh, decide to uh, you know, put the, the greater good ahead of ourselves, right? And uh, that, that's uh, to be seen. I was going to use the word common sense there, Michael. There you go, yeah. And Donovan, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu and American Institute in Taiwan Director Brent Christensen, they were touting joint efforts to battle the coronavirus this week. Yeah, they have talked about, uh, they talked about the six areas of bilateral collaboration. 
Um, and frankly, the U.S. can learn a lot from Taiwan. They, some of the things that they're, they're talking about collaborating on is the research and development of rapid tests and vaccines. Now, the U.S., of course, is very strong in vaccines. Um, there's also research and development of medicines. Now, tracing techniques and technology uh, and joint conferences with scientists and experts and collaboration and exchanges of medical supplies and equipment. Now, they say that the U.S. is has prepared for Taiwan the raw materials required to make 300,000 protective outfits, while Taiwan, when its mask supplies are stable, is to send 100,000 masks per week to the U.S. Now, this is an interesting one because apparently up until January, Taiwan got most of its uh, hazmat suits from China, and then it started getting them from DuPont. So, but they're also starting to make them locally. How much this this collaboration with the U.S. is actually going to produce, who knows? I, I was actually curious when the announcement came out is, how many other countries is, has the United States announced that it's going to collaborate with, and how much of this is just show? On the other hand, if they uh, have singled out Taiwan as a high priority to collaborate with, it does make a lot of sense because Taiwan has done a very good job. And we've heard lots of complaining all over the place uh, from uh, citizens, you know, saying we need to put our people first. And, of course, they're right, but I do believe the government is thinking about that, and they wouldn't be exporting these or helping America if, uh, you know, their, their, their mask situation was was uh, was not under control with this new system that's in place now um, even office workers right are are able to uh, skip long lines and just go in and I guess we'll be talking about that later but it's a rather effective system that's been put into place for uh, for people to be able to order online and just go and, and get their 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 stuff right and Donovan to be play the devil's advocate here if the political football was on the other side of the field so to speak and the other party was in power. Do you think they may be looking the other side of the strait to cooperate on certain things? Well, I mean, obviously that's speculative. Um, I, I think it's really hard to say. I mean, if Hang Boyu had won the election, I think probably yes. Right now, under current KMT chair Johnny Chang, I don't know, I think would be the honest answer. He's still kind of an unknown quantity as far as what does cross-strait relations will be. I know that he's U.S. educated. I think he's more positive on the U.S. than, uh, than some of his predecessors were. So I, I, my, my suspicion is that he would try to cooperate with both the U.S. and with the PRC. And then, uh, real quick on the masks, according to Chen Zizong, the uh, CECC head, right, we now have 11 million masks per week uh, on production lines, and that's being pumped up to 13 to 15 million over the next coming weeks. We have raw materials for 300,000 protective suits. And uh, so he's saying that, you know, pretty soon here, like really, really soon, we will have more than enough to be able to share. And if we can, then, you know, why shouldn't we? Uh, yeah, I think we should be sharing face masks. I think that's excellent advice. Anyway, moving on from the coronavirus and newly elected KMT chairman Johnny Jung and under fire facing possible recall Kaohsiung Mayor Hang Guo Yu met up this past weekend for a bit of a chinwag. Now they apparently reached an agreement during the Sunday closed-door meeting to work together to develop Kaohsiung and also to seek a bigger piece of the central government's pie of resources and subsidies. Han voices confidence in Jung's ability to lead the KMT, saying the Taijong lawmaker would lead the party in a direction that 
that will allow it to better respond to public opinion and meet public expectations, while Jung lauded Han's performance as mayor over the past year, saying the city government has made great strides. So, Michael, Johnny Jung meets Han Guoyu, and they both pat each other on the back. Yeah, it was all smiles when they came out of the room and handshakes and all that, but uh, the rumor mill started up immediately. In fact, there was one editorial in a local paper that uh, suggested that possibly one of the topics of discussion, and again, this is speculative and uh, these are rumors, but one of the topics could have been uh, sparing the KMT the ordeal of having to go through with this recall vote by having Han possibly step down if it uh, looks like there's an overwhelming chance that he's going to be removed. Because theoretically, if he were to be, uh, if he were to step down, rather, then the vice mayor or one of, these, one of the two vice mayors might be able to take his place and the KMT could hold on to the position until the next election. And, you know, you were just saying that uh, Han says that, you know, he has faith in the direction that uh, Johnny Jung is going to lead the KMT. And, well, it looks like the direction that he's going in is going to be a very different direction than the direction that Han Guoyu uh, would have taken the party should he have uh, won the presidency or had won the uh, KMT uh, uh, chairmanship that he ran for back in, uh, I think it was uh, 2018. Uh, Johnny Jung, from all we can tell so far, seems to be open to some relatively radical changes, possibly for the KMT, and moving in a direction that uh, is not just the, the old school, you know, Zhonghua Mingguo Wansui kind of thing that we heard from uh, Han Guoyu. So despite all of these pledges of cooperation and stuff, I really feel that uh, the new KMT chief does not really want this problem on his, uh, his, his, his immediate entry into, into the role right now. And he probably is trying to find a way to uh, mitigate the uh, disaster that could be the first com- a major recall of a of a mayor of a major city in Taiwan, and uh, yeah, there probably are discussions going on about that. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of things I can add here. One is um, I, I'm curious to see whether or not the recall election will actually succeed. The the We Care uh, Gaosheng uh, and the other organizations that were involved in collecting the signatures collected over five hundred thousand. Now, they need 580,000 people to vote affirmative to recall uh, Han Guoyu as mayor of Kaohsiung. And and they raised almost that many signatures. But the thing is, is that when you're collecting a signature, people are approaching you, say you're at the supermarket or wherever you're at. Actually, Actually, if I could step in, that's not how it's been working down here. Oh, really? You, you have to go to a specific location, and that's what's impressive about this. You must go to – now, to be fair, there were a, more than 100 places, and sometimes they would set it up next to a park or something. But yeah. it was very rare that someone would come up to you and ask you to sign something. You had to make the approach, and for the most part, except for the weekends, these places were – there was a downtown one, there was one in Chaozhou, one in – so you had to make an effort, and that's oh. kind of impressive. Okay, because I saw all the pictures of them in the parks and things right, like that. Right, that was like weekend, weekend little that they set up, yeah. Now, on the KMT website, this is the official KMT website, they, and they're quoting the UDN here, they, they say that Han has taken three countermeasures uh, to, against the recall. One is to stabilize the governance of Kaohsiung City Hall, which suggests that it wasn't stabilized before. Um, number three on the list is just simply to resume live streams on social media to explain and clarify the smears against him. But here, uh, number two, this is the one that jumped out at me. 
And number two, it's build a firewall. Even though the groups launching the recall drive keep demanding that Chen, uh, Chen Xiongwen, a de- Kaohsiung deputy mayor, recuse himself by resigning as director of the Kaohsiung CEC, that's the, uh, the election committee, which is overseeing the uh, the the collection of the petitions. Uh, sorry, the signatures. Chen has decided to remain in his position. With regard to the second stage co-sponsorships, the Kaohsiung CEC will conduct strict vetting of them in accordance with the law. Should forged endorsements or misrepresentations on endorsement papers be found, the Kaohsiung CEC will refer the suspects to prosecutors for investigation of document forgery. Now, that's pretty strong language, and it seems that basically is flat out saying that the head of the Kaohsiung CEC is going to be, uh, let's let's put this, uh, I'll quote them, I guess, strict yeah, in well, dealing we with... Yeah, can't forget that they only needed 200 and, uh, yeah. 270, right, at the most. So you would have... I'm not really into math, but you can do the math, and if you have 500,000 and you only need 200... Uh, that would be a lot of fraud to be able to pull that off. But it sounds like they're they're issuing kind of a warning. That's the yeah. way this, the wording sounds here. In Moving other words... down here, the, the feeling that I get is that uh, the only thing that is going to throw this off, really is uh, this virus. I mean, if it extends to June and people are afraid to go out and uh, get in line, that, that could be the only thing that would dampen uh, turnout. But even that, like, you know, you know how we hold elections in Taiwan. You can go to your local school. You go to your – it's not really – you don't have to wait in line for hours. So it, it, the, the passion that I've seen from people – People have stickers on their motorcycles, on their car. You know, Guangfu Kaohsiung is the call. Liberate Kaohsiung, essentially. And I, I, I haven't seen that really, aside from the virus, you know, being such a, a topic that's front and center. I haven't seen any slacking in the, in the feeling of those who want him removed. The one thing he has done recently that's been really, really good is he's been quiet for the most part. You know, he's uh, sat there at the meetings. He's listened to the experts, and uh, he's just... And not engaged in any of the stunts like, you know, uh, picking up mop water or climbing trees or anything. So he's looking a little bit more normal and more like an ordinary mayor, and that could work in his favor. Uh, the virus could work in his favor, but there's, as I see it, there is no um, slacking in the feeling for at least, I would have to say, at least 450,000 dedicated people who want this guy out of office. And we have to take a short break now, but we will be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and there have been fresh calls to make Donovan Smith's fair city of Taichung the island's capital. But this time the calls are coming from the KMT and not the DPP. Now, of course, shortly after President Tsai Ing-wen took office, her administration drew up a set of plans to make that happen, Donovan. But, of course, it didn't happen. Yeah, this has gone back uh, for a while. The DPP traditionally is the party that's behind this, and they they talk about regional justice and regional development. And, of course, the, the major argument is that Taipei is already kind of overburdened with Uh, It's overcrowded, it's expensive, it's also not centrally located, and Taichung is centrally located. And so when the DPP came into power, 
uh, at the time the legislative speaker and uh, for a while premier and the incoming uh, vice president, William Lai. These are people who have all you know, actively called for at least part of the central government to be moved to Taichung. And when the DPP took power in 2016, there was a lot of movement on this, specifically to move the legislative UN down to Taichung, because it is centrally located to be more convenient for everyone. And so the then mayor, Lin Jialong, drew up a lot of plans, and there was a lot of activity and talk at the time. And it went quiet, just nothing. It was... It, the the central government basically just quietly dropped it, and the the topic disappeared. So now, Yang Chongying, who was recently uh, reelected to uh, a seat in Taichung, and she just came out, and she's of the KMT. So this is a little bit of a surprise, but she came out with fourteen other lawmakers, and she's calling for the executive UN or the, uh, the executive branch of government to be moved to Taichung and the legislative branch to be moved to Taichung. So this is interesting, or I should say actually to Nanto. Uh, they're looking at moving what used to be the provincial government. What she would like to see is the, the, the legislative UN move to Taichung and the executive UN move into Nanto just across the border from Taichung into what used to be the provincial gover- government. So now whether or not anything's going to happen on this, I'm not holding my breath. I think it's a brilliant idea. Number one, they'll get to taste the air of central and southern Taiwan a little bit more. Perhaps yes. that will spur some action. And also it seems to be a bit of a global trend. You know, you can go way back to the 60s and you can talk about Brazil and Brasilia. But even more recently, we're seeing Jakarta making moves to move out. We're seeing Egypt build a new capital city roughly, you know, 40, 50 kilometers away from Cairo. And, yeah, think of the property that you, you, you could develop in downtown Taipei, all those areas. The presidential palace, for example, there's been calls before for that to be turned into a museum for the public. And uh, it could be a tourist attraction rather than what it is right now. You could tear down some of those buildings, put in high-rises or lower-cost housing, whatever you want. But, yes, it seems like a really, really good idea. And as an American, I mean, I can't imagine if they had uh, gone with the original proposal of leaving the capital in New York City. You know, it just it would be utter and complete chaos. So getting ahead of this right about now seems like a, a really good idea. But of course, Donovan, moving the cabinet to Nanto and where the old provincial government used to be might not be popular. Well, I, it, it depends on with whom. I mean, obviously in central Taiwan, that would be very popular. Um, and for the legislators themselves, uh, the reason why I think that the legislators and the government, the, the reason why a lot of them are dragging their heels on this is not because it doesn't make sense. Taipei is in a disaster-prone basin. The entire central government is located near three nuclear power plants, <laughs> and the, you know, there's an active volcano near there. There's, you know, it, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. Whereas Taichung is sunny and beautiful, the people are nice, and <laughs> the traffic, the traffic's much better, and the, commu- the, the, the transportation links actually are quite good, so that if if they were to actually relocate here, and all those aspects, it would, it would make a lot of sense. However, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of lawmakers, they want to make sure that they are near the presidential office. They want to make sure they're near the executive UN. They want to make sure they're near the 
the TV stations and studios. They want to make sure they're next to extremely expensive apartments in Nehu. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, they. So, I think that a lot of the lawmakers really don't want to leave Taipei because they feel like it's the center of power, and that's where they can really exercise it. Well, can I just make a plug for uh, returning the capital to its original, destined location of Tainan? Well, Taichung was slated to be the capital. I mean, as, you know, as well. traditionally, for some three hundred years, Tainan was the place. So, yes. So. Let's no, look. no. Personally, I don't want to see their mucky politicians ruin Tainan. All right, that's <laughs> just my <laughs> opinion, point. my personal opinion. Never mind. Anyway, talking of moving to Taichung, well, the reason they might not want to go there is because of the mess that is the Taichung power plant, Donovan. And of course, that little saga turned bitter this week after the cabinet last Friday ruled that several provisions laid out by the city government to reduce coal use at the power plant were invalid. And that ruling effectively nullifies the relevant portion of a Taichung city law that was called on to back some of this disputed work that appeared in the document, which, of course, we've talked about before. Now, it also follows similar decisions by the central government to support Thai power over local governments. And it hasn't just been the DPP. Also, the KMT under Mayin Joe did support Thai power over, I believe, the Miaoli County government. So, Donovan, of course, a big war of words. People accusing people of basically, we're going to write a letter to the WHO demanding this. And Mayor <laughs> Lu Yen saying, we're going to get the Constitutional Court to review it. Yes. Well, this has turned into the one big issue. I think Johnny Chang, uh, as KMT chair, has been fairly smart, I think, in this, in that he's been quietly supporting the government on the coronavirus. And so there hasn't really been a big issue for the KMT. This issue is one that's that the KMT now has jumped on board. And Johnny Chang and the, the KMT caucus and the legislature, and they're all jumping on board, backing Lucio Yen on this. But the war of words has turned really quite nasty. Um, Lucio Yen has called this unprecedented, which, as you noted in your intro there, uh, actually, no, uh, this has been going on for quite some time. Uh, Miao Li, Zhang Hua, and Tai Zhang have previously been overruled before. Uh, on behalf of the state-owned power company, Thai Power. The, and in this, so the, the, she's been calling this uh, outrageous and dictatorial and using a lot of very strong language uh, to attack the central government. Now, it was the KMT uh, City Council Caucus launched a, they said they want to launch a one-person, one one-letter campaign to uh, appeal against the DPP administration to 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 get international support for justice for Taiwanese, they want to launch a one-letter, one-person campaign to, of all organizations, the WHO, which of course doesn't recognize Taiwan in the first place. But the Taichung City, the KMT City Council Caucus, would like to appeal to the WHO to stand up for Taiwanese against the DPP administration. Um, Now, what's interesting is that leading the charge in defending the cabinet's decision is, ironically, Lin Jialong, the former mayor of Taichung, who is now the transport minister, under whom the law originally passed in the first place. And he started uh, essentially slapping around Lu Xiuyen in saying things like, you stop blaming the central government for anything and everything, uh, which has been kind of a common refrain, is 
everything that has been a problem for Taichung has generally been blamed on the central government. Can I jump in as a listener and just ask a quick question? Uh-huh. So Taichung City doesn't want the power plant to continue using coal, but the central government is overruling them? I'm, I'm, I just want this to be clear for listeners to understand. What actually does Taichung want? Uh, yeah. Okay, so the... You've got to be very brief, Donovan. We, yeah, we, haven't, well, got, we haven't got an hour. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So this, the what the what the Taichung City government wants is a reduction in the amount of coal that is burnt because, as far as Taichung is concerned, most of the power that comes out of the tai, the the Taichung power plant actually goes to areas outside of Taichung. Okay. So that's what they want. Um, and to continue with what I was saying before is that the Liu government has been essentially blaming the central government for. Uh, all of its ills, although that's not new. Lin Jialong did, Jason Hu did, but to a lesser degree. Um, and also, uh, Lin Jialong accused uh, Lu Xiaoyan of using the issue of pollution as a political ATM. And that was, of course, what she was, that was her major campaign uh, promise, was to re- improve Taichung's air. And of course, Michael, you have an air problem in Kaohsiung. Do you think maybe Hang you could possibly follow Lu Xiaoyan and kick up a bit of a stink about some of your rather polluting factories down there? Yeah, it's possible. Um, I haven't heard anything from the Kaohsiung government about air for a very, very long time. Um, Right now, uh, we're in that period where it's just, you know, we've got blue skies for a good couple of weeks, and it's looking quite nice, and, you know, it kind of drops off the radar. But then come, you know, early September or so, usually we start to see the the gray skies come in and people start getting worried about it. So it seems like an annual thing where we go through this sort of uh, pantomime, this sort of show. Uh, There's an anti-pollution rally. Everyone screams about it. The government says, yes, 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 yes. The skies clear up a bit. People kind of forget about it. And then, of course, with virus right now, uh, air is not the, the main thing people have on their minds. And before we go this week, residents of Tainan won't be calling the city's fire department to deal with animal, reptile or insect problems from next Monday. As according to the city's fire department, all such calls asking for help in removing beehives, snakes or other ordinary wayward animal life will, from that day forth, be dealt with by a team of experts under contract with the Tainan Agriculture Bureau. Apparently, according to the city's fire department, it gets 3,400 calls from Tainan residents to remove bee or hornet nests and some 4,000 500 calls to catch snakes every year. So, of course, Michael, if you have a problem in Kaohsiung, you still have to call the fire brigade. Yeah, we have way more than that number, I'm sure, because uh, we've got this invasive iguana problem going on. I'm sure Tainan has some of those as well. But, yeah, they're getting calls on a daily basis from borough wardens, from uh, citizens to, to capture these iguanas. And you've got the, the pythons uh, in Pingdong and here as well. So it would probably be a very wise thing for them to set this up as a national sort of policy where you don't call the fire department if your kitten is stuck in a tree or if there's a snake in your backyard. Because, yeah, the fire department sort of has a mission and it's in their name. They're a fire department. They're supposed to be putting out fires and helping with that. And uh, it would be horrible to imagine that, uh, you know, you're halfway across the uh, town picking up a snake and a fire happens and you couldn't reach it in time because of that, you know, just horrific to, to even contemplate. So good move, in my opinion, on the Tainan uh, government's part, and I hope they extend it to everywhere else. Right, and Donovan, apparently this, this, these special creature wrangling experts will be available 24 hours a day in Tainan and arrive on site within an hour at the most. Well, you know, I, I've been seeing
everything in all the line groups that I'm involved in that iguanas set fires. So I really don't understand <laughs> how this, <laughs> what the so logic behind this is. <laughs> um, no, it's obviously it's a great idea. Um, the fire department is is not not trained for this, and this has actually been something that also has been a big problem, particularly in Zhanghua, actually, uh, here in central Taiwan. And Nanto, of course, has been a perennial problem. And, of course, Tainan becomes only the second city in Taiwan to pass animal, reptile and insect problem duty onto its Agriculture Bureau after New Taipei, because, of course, New Taipei is... There's lots of mountains in New Taipei, Michael. Right, yeah. Um, we, you don't have the same exact creatures, obviously. Taiwan is a very fascinating island where you've got subtropical and tropical uh, conditions, you know, just across such a small area. So the, the creatures are different, but, uh, you know, uh, Donovan can also attest to uh, other creature problems like uh, the, the monkeys uh, in Nanto, and we've got that down here as well. So something needs to be cohesively done, and a policy needs to be cohesively done, and uh, it seems like this is the, the best solution. So let's go for it. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Donovan Smith in Taichung. Have a great weekend. And Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Again, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.